by show of hands, who likes surprises? Wow. Okay, I'm an anomaly here. I hate surprises. <laughs> okay, no, just show me again. Show me again. I, I, I might need to just like quickly change my sermon in my head. Um, <laughs> no surprises. Conrad, okay, I'm going to preach to you today. <laughs> I was uh, maybe 23 years old, 22 years old. I was in my prime. I know my wife still thinks I'm in my prime, but I was in, I was in my prime. And uh, I had come from playing many hours of rugby every day down at UCT. I had an injury which put me out. So I started canoeing. And I had a girlfriend whose family were world marathon champions and everything. So to kind of win Jackie Bon Jovi stots over to, I, I had to take up canoeing. Uh, but with all the time that I had for rugby, I just transferred that into canoeing. And uh, I think being 22, I was probably just fitter than most. And I started to do okay. And then I was with my digs mate. And we were living in Cape Town. And we decided to a race called the 50 Miler. It no longer exists. But the 50 Miler is a two-day race on the, the Amzunduzi and Amgeni River. So it's kind of like it's, it's two days of the three-day doozy. Uh, all the big shots would go to the race. It was kind of like a, a, a warm-up to the doozy, and everyone would check out where everybody is in their training because it was about a month before the doozy uh, in those days, or about five weeks before. And so really it was like your last real push before the race, uh, before the big race, the doozy. And I was with my partner. We were 22, 23 years old. Uh, we were from Cape Town. We had never paddled the doozy river because uh, I only got into paddling down in the Cape and, uh, and we arrived, and somehow we got, uh, the guy said, so are you any good? And uh, the guy that was doing the seeding, because we hadn't really entered the race, we just arrived, and expecting to go off at the back. And, of course, at 22 years of age, you say, yeah, I think we're quite good. And uh, so he says, okay, well, I can't put you in A batch, which is where all the professionals go. We'll put you in B batch. And uh, we wanted to prove ourselves, and so we hot-footed uh, off the start line, and we're trying to catch a batch, and so we towards the front of these, uh, we towards the front of our batch, and, and catching up to the back end of the other batch. And uh, as we're going, we are just tearing it. I mean, we're doing well, hey. I mean, we are properly looking the part. And uh, next thing you know, we we hear and see some bubbling water up ahead of us, and we think, oh, brilliant. I mean, we trained for rapids. I mean, this is this is you know only in South Africa do you get into a little fiberglass boat into. Uh, grade five uh, categoried uh, uh, rapids. Everyone else goes in plastic kayaks and with safety uh, features. We just go with a little fiberglass paddle and a fiberglass boat that falls over on its own when you're not even sitting in it. It's so unstable. And we're going to hit this thing. Next thing we know, we head over this waterfall called Arbus Point. For those of you that know Arbus Point, Aubrey is hosing himself right now because he knows what Arbus Point is. You don't shoot Arbus Point. It's a waterfall. We are novices to the river, not novices to paddling. Although that experience would say we were novices to paddling too. Next thing, we're floating down the river and we're looking back and going, what the heck was that? That was not a surprise I wanted to see in a little fiberglass boat when my life was at risk looking back. I think we all fall into the category of we like some surprises and don't like other surprises. We would all like the surprise if 100K was put into our bank account. We don't like the surprise when the tax man says you owe 100K. 
I think surprises, whether we like them or not, is determined by who's the giver of the surprise and whether we trust them or not. And so, so often when we go through life, when we navigate the unknown or we navigate surprises, actually our determination on how we respond to them is, is this thing of, do I know the person and is there any degree of control I have over that surprise and its outworking? And so today I want to talk to us about navigating surprises or navigating the unknown. Because every day, or let's put it this way, every week, every month, we come up against the unknown. We come up against a surprise, whether it be small or whether it be big. And we've got to know how to navigate it. And who we see as the orchestrator of that or who is in control of it will determine how we respond to it. See, the 25th of December, we woke up to a surprise, Jackson and me. Some of you will know, many of you will know, the 24th, there was an accident. It would appear the op went well. Uh, that night, but the 25th, we got a phone call. It was not a surprise we wanted because we knew that it was out of our control, so I had no control over it. And I had to make a decision as to whether I trusted the one that was in control, whether he could be in control or not. We're going to look at a man who has an encounter with Jesus, and he deals with something that's unknown. And Jesus' response and his interaction, their encounter gives us some clues and gives us some handles on how we can encounter Jesus in a life that is full of surprises. Because I think humanity on the whole is not great at dealing with the unknown. We're not good at it. We allow it to get into our world. We allow it to disturb our peace. We allow, it to, uh, we, we allow surprises to raise emotions to the, service, uh, to the surface and then we make decisions based out of emotion and not out of truth. And as we've been hearing over these encounters and Paul's message last week, which was so good, that actually our hope is, is hung upon truth. And so we have to find truth in the moment of the unknown. We have to find truth in the moment of a surprise. Jackie and I, in that moment when it was so emotional, it was so horrible, it was so much turmoil, there was so much, uh, all of this stuff, we had to find where's the truth in this? Is our trust in the doctor who's about to take Kiara's skull off, a piece of where is our trust in this moment of the unknown, in this moment of surprise? We have to say, actually, the author and the perfecter, the creator, he is the one that is in control of this surprise. What the enemy meant for good, God can turn for the good. We have to determine in that moment whether we're going to respond like God is good or whether we are going to mistrust or distrust our God. Our trust by our display, we've been proven to trust in this good God. But what about you? What about us? As we deal with the unknown. So there's this story. And uh, there's a man who is of the, the sect called the Pharisees. So he is a religious man. He's a religious leader. He's one who would be quite highly esteemed within society. So people would look to him to give direction in life. As Jewish culture would. Because they were God-fearing people. And the Pharisees were the leaders and teachers within the Jewish community. So in John chapter 3, verse 1 to 13, we're going to read. John chapter 3, from verse 1 to 13. Now, there was a prominent religious leader among the Jews named Nicodemus, who was part of the sect called the Pharisees and a member of the Jewish ruling council. One night, he discreetly came to Jesus and he said, Master, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one performs the miracle signs that you do unless God's power is with him. 
Jesus answered, Nicodemus, listen to this eternal truth. Before a person can perceive God's kingdom realm, they must first experience a rebirth. Nicodemus said, rebirth? How can a gray-headed man be reborn? It's impossible for a man to go back into the room a second time and be reborn. Jesus answered, I speak an eternal truth. Unless you are born of water and of the spirit or spirit wind, you will never enter God's kingdom realm. For the natural realm can only give birth to things that are natural. But the spiritual realm gives birth to supernatural life. You shouldn't be amazed by my statement, you must be born from above. For the spirit wind blows as it chooses, you can hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is, so it is within the hearts of those who are spirit born. Then Nicodemus replied, but I don't understand. What do you mean? How does this happen? Jesus answered, Nicodemus, aren't you the respected teacher in Israel? And yet you do not understand this revelation. I speak eternal truths about things I know, things I've seen and experienced, and still you don't accept what I reveal. If you're unable to understand and believe what I've told you about the natural realm, what will you do when I begin to unveil the heavenly realm? No one has risen into the heavenly realm except the Son of Man who also exists in heaven. Jesus, I pray that as we come before your word this morning, as you encountered Nicodemus, a man who was searching for meaning and understanding about life and life supernaturally. So I pray that we as a people would submit ourselves, we would surrender ourselves to your word this morning. That you, Spirit of God, would speak to us, you would unveil the heavenly truths. That we would not live with just natural eyes, but we would live with supernatural eyes, understanding what you are doing in the spirit realm. And so help us today, we pray. Help us to come under your word. Let us not be over your word. Would you teach us, we pray. Amen. Before I get into just some points, who, who wants to understand heavenly things? By show of hands. It's not a rhetoric question. Who wants to understand heavenly things? I, I love here where it just says, if you're unable to understand and believe what I've told you about the natural realm, what will you do when I begin to unveil the heavenly realm? Jesus talks around the Spirit of God, and we're going to get into this, but I, I just want to set this up, friends, that sometimes we look with natural eyes upon what God is doing supernaturally, and we, we disqualify or we distrust because we put our own inadequacies upon who God is. We put our own natural abilities upon who God is, and, though, and we put those abilities upon Him, and therefore we think that God is limited in His abilities. And God would say, actually, in navigating the unknown, in navigating surprises, actually, it's about trusting the one who has been to heaven and who is in heaven and is able to reveal heavenly things by His Spirit, which requires a rebirth. Are we prepared to go on that journey as a people? Or are we going to continue to make decisions based upon what we see naturally? So how do we make sense 
of all of this. I, I think there's three things that come out of the story which I want to highlight today, which will just help us encounter Jesus or how to approach Jesus so that in our encounter with him, we may just position ourselves rightly and be able to take hold of him. Is that okay? The first thing we see here, I'm just going to quickly shoot through them so that you've got a framework and then I'm going to just speak into them. The first thing is we see Nicodemus went at night and discreetly. He went at night and discreetly, verse 2. The second thing is he asks questions of Jesus. We see that in verse 4. And the third thing is it is the spirit that gives birth to spirit life. That's the third thing in verse 6. And so uh, just because I think it's easier to kind of have takeaway lines, this is what we're going to speak into. So the first thing, Nicodemus went at night and discreetly. We've got to seek the true teacher. We've got to seek the true teacher. The second thing is he asks questions. Number two, we have to learn from the true teacher. We have to learn from him. And number three, the spirit gives birth to spirit life. We have to be prepared to be led by the spirit. We have to seek the true teacher. We need to learn from the true teacher and we need to be led by the spirit. And this will help us in our encounter with Jesus, in our encounters with him, as we navigate the unknown and navigate surprises in our life, that we would respond with a supernatural life response as opposed to a natural life response. Is that all right? So we're going to seek the true teacher first. This is what Nicodemus does. We've got to understand that when Nicodemus comes and it says, and he came at night and discreetly, we have to understand what Jesus has just done. So he's just turned water into wine. So we heard about that last week from Paul. It was an outstanding teaching. If you weren't here last week, I really encourage you to uh, just get onto the podcast channel and download that message and listen to it. It was, uh, it was incredible. So uh, he t- turned water into wine. The next thing that Jesus has just done before this incident when Nicodemus comes is he's gone into the temple and you've got all of these guys selling uh, doves and, uh, and uh, lambs and all of this stuff for the temple sacrifice. And Jesus just goes in there and he just starts turning over tables and he's got a little whip and he's thrashing around like this. And uh, you got to understand the Pharisees who were in charge of the temple and kind of overseeing that stuff were, were kind of, they were the ones teaching it. They would have gone like, what on earth? That's like shooting a waterfall, looking back and going, what the heck? You don't do that. No one's ever done that. Actually, the sacrifice is ordained by God, and these people are selling. What Jesus understood was the Pharisees would lease out licenses to these guys. These guys would sell at a premium and really rip off the guys that were coming to offer sacrifices to God. So there was a whole lot of corruption going on there, but no one had dared challenge them. People knew that was going on, but no one had dared come to upturn tables and really just thrash around the whip, and no one had turned water into wine. And the Pharisees were gathering together, and they weren't bothering to talk to Jesus. They were just getting together and saying, we need to kill this man. He's a threat to our future. Who is this guy? Who does he think he is? We're not even interested in what truth he may bring or may not bring. We are just so disgruntled and so offended by, actually, there's this this circumstance, this person that's come in to challenge our status quo. How are we supposed to engage with him? We don't. And, and actually, there was just like this round table thinking, or what do they call it? Insular thinking, or whatever. Just uh, no one bothering to find out. But Nicodemus, a wise man, quietly at night and discreetly, he says, Jesus, I, I'm confused about a couple of things here. You're the one that's turned water into wine. 
I'm not going to sit with my Pharisee buddies and try and make an assessment of what you did. You got, you're the guy that came into the temple and did all of that. No one's dared challenge us. I'm going to come to you at night and discreetly and, and ask you why you did that. And so we see that Nicodemus comes and he comes to seek the true teacher. I, I, I love this. And I think we can learn in, in terms of how to encounter Jesus from this because because human psyche, human behavior tells us that this is not natural, what Nicodemus does. It's not natural. The natural thing is that we would talk and gossip. That's why the Bible says do not gossip. Because God being God knows human behavior. And he knows that it's safer for us to do that. So I want to just give a little example and it's very very current it happened on tuesday night uh, we were at grace family church uh, in their facility and it was unknown to all of us and the worship team were busy practicing getting their songs ready and they were on a stage they were unfamiliar with with instruments they were uh, not instruments i mean some of them had but equipment that was unfamiliar to them and the sound guys were getting used to a different tech desk uh, i think sometimes we take for granted how much work goes into putting on something like this, that we're able to engage God and worship Him and do all of that quite freely. So I really do encourage you to thank the guys often that their energy and their faith may be high for, uh, for leading us. But um, I was in decision-making mode. And those that are close to me know that when I get into decision-making mode, if you don't need a decision made, just stay clear a little bit. <laughs> Not, not because I try to be ugly, but I'm in decision-making mode. It's like, okay, every, I, I'm solution-driven, and we're going to do this thing. And there were about 50 decisions we were having to make, and sisterhood was coming on Wednesday night. It was coming whether we were ready or not. We had to change them. It was happening. And, uh, and I heard uh, Nick, who was leading, and, and the first song they were trying to practice, they were struggling a little bit. And um, I, me being in leadership mode kind of went down to the front and uh, I just said, all right, all right, what's going on here? What's wrong? Next, this is not sounding good. I think, uh, actually, who's best to sing this song? And I just started going. And then just Paul and Nick, who were at the front there, just very graciously listened to me, waited me out. Then I kind of took a step back. I turned my back and started to walk up. And I heard Paul and Nick talk. And they were talking about, well, we're singing it in B. Maybe it should be an F sharp or F minor or something. And suddenly I realized, like, Shucks, I don't even know what they're talking about. And now we're going to transpose it like this and change the keys to this. And I'm just like, my head hangs down. And all I could do was just text Nicole and text Paul and say, I'm so sorry. Because actually, I've just come in here like a bull in a china shop. And I've offered my opinion where actually it's none of my business or my expertise. Forget about whether it's my business or not. Actually, it's got nothing to do. My expertise are not based there. And actually, I've come with a statement, not a question. And Nicodemus comes with discreetly with a question, Jesus, can you teach me, as opposed to a statement. Because when we come with statements, actually, we start to dictate what's going on because we become the orchestrator and we, and we pretend we understand what's going on. And actually, very often when we come with statements, actually, we go home with a tail between our legs because actually we make statements about people that actually have more knowledge or more skill than you. And the reason we get together in little groups is because we know that. We know that if we were to confront the person that we're talking about and gossip, we know that they actually, they would probably come back with a million reasons why our thought is not the right thought. And so Nicodemus comes, and he comes to seek 
the true teacher. Not the teachers of the law, but the true teacher. And so, friends, when we come, the first thing as we, as we look to uh, navigate surprises or navigate the unknown is we have to come to the true teacher. We can't be getting in groups in our homes and start talking about things that we are unaware of or we know very little about. Our responsibility is to get before the one that knows all things and say, you teach me. And that moves us on into the second point, which is this, that uh, we have to be prepared to learn from him. I love Nicodemus. He, he kind of gets a bit of a lesson. He starts off by saying, by saying this. He says, uh, Nicodemus comes to Jesus. He says, how can a man be born when he is old? And he has such a good start. He asks Jesus a question. And then what does he do? Instantly, he goes into a statement. Surely a man cannot enter a second time into a mother's womb to be born. Which results in Jesus giving him quite a terse answer. But you're, you're the teacher. You're the teacher. And you don't understand these things. I think if you had just left it at an open-ended question, I think Jesus would have been far more polite to him. But here's the difference, friends. When we come to learn from it, we don't only seek the true teacher, but we come to learn from the true, true teacher. We come with questions, not with statements. Because questions immediately puts our brain into a position of open-mindedness. Statements immediately puts our mind into a position of closed-mindedness. So if you come to the, the true teacher, if you come to Jesus Christ with a statement, friends, be expecting Jesus to come back with an answer like this. Where were you when I created the heavens and the earth? Where were you when I told the waters this far and no further? Where were you when I raised Kiara to life? Where were you? And we go with our tail between our legs. I have a little grid with which I deal with people. Um, because many times people come under the pretense of wanting to seek counsel. But actually, they're not coming to seek counsel. They're coming to tell me their position. Or they're coming to tell me a statement. And so... I'll always have this grid when I, I, I'm, I'm helping you in your encounters with me and likewise me with you. Is are you learning in order to understand or are you learning? Are, are, you, uh, are you listening in order to understand or are you listening in order to respond? Are you listening in order to understand or are you listening in order to respond? And likewise, I, I want to treat people like that. So this is a, it's a two-way street. And the reason is this. When we listen to respond... We're in a monologue. We're not in a dialogue. It's not called conversation when we're listening to respond. But when we're listening to understand and to learn, then we're in a conversation. Then we're in relationship. And so Nicodemus asks this question, makes a statement. Jesus addresses him. And from then on, he just asks questions. He was a wise man. He, he learned. And then he asked Jesus to explain what was going on? Come back to the story that I opened with. So I didn't quite tell it with the fullness of uh, all the things that went on in that story. So when we got to the start, my partner and I, of the 50 mile of this canoeing race, we were warned that there is a waterfall called Ibis Point and you are not allowed to shoot it. We were racing hard. And when we got to Ibis Point, which we didn't know was Ibis Point, there was a lifeguard there saying, get out. But we knew better. 
because we were in the flow of the river and we were racing because we had a destination to get to because we had set our course. And when we got to the other end of the waterfall and I said we were floating down the river, we were not floating down in our boat. The reality of that story is we shot the waterfall. It was seven meters. Just to let you know what seven meters is, it's kind of like, I don't know, somewhere, not quite the roof, but close to. Our boat pegged at the bottom. It didn't break because we should have been racing in a fiberglass boat so that if it wraps around a rock, it breaks. But what you do when you're racing is you put a little bit of Kevlar in the boat, and Kevlar is the thing they use for bulletproof vests so that it doesn't break. So we put Kevlar in our boat so it didn't break. I fortunately popped out, but my partner, who was in the back of the boat, in the force of going down, got wedged in, and he had the force of a waterfall upon him, and he could not get out, and the boat did not break. And it was an incredibly traumatic time as I was floating down the river trying to get back to him to rescue him. There, were no, there was a lifeguard at the top, but no lifeguards around that because we weren't supposed to shoot it. So they weren't prepared for idiots like me. And actually his life was at great risk. And I had to get up to the top of the waterfall and I had to come down and hope that I would get onto the back of the boat as I went over the waterfall again and hold on to the tail of the boat and to rip it down with me, hoping that it would break, which would snap him out. It did break. He was set free. But I feel like so often that's the story of our lives. We're in the flow of this river and it's too, and, and we're going and we're racing and we've set our course and, the, and we've encountered Jesus, but we, we're listening to respond. We're not listening to learn. And he's telling us at the beginning of the journey, actually, you're going to come across this moment, and you're not allowed to shoot it. And then we get there, and he's so kind and gracious that there's even a lifeguard telling us to get out. But we know better because we are racing. We don't have time to stop and ask the lifeguard again, is this Arbus point? We don't have time for that. And we go over, and I nearly lose my mate. And so when we come to navigating the unknown and navigating surprises, when we do not seek the true teacher and when we're not positioning ourselves to learn from him, friends, we can get ourselves in all sorts of trouble. Nicodemus started by asking a question but then made a statement. It's not possible for an old gray-haired man to get back into his mother's womb. It's like that was the only definition and that was the only answer and Jesus just tells him, actually, there's a different way. There is a supernatural way. There is a heavenly realm. You're just looking through earthly, natural lenses. But there is, an, there is a heavenly activity taking place right now, friends. A heavenly activity happening over your life. And a heavenly activity happening over our collective lives as Anthem. And a heavenly activity. But if we are going to only not go and seek the truth giver and the true teacher, uh, we are going to just gather in our own little midst. And we're going to talk around in circles. And we're going to just see naturally. And we're going to make decisions based naturally because we don't, because it's unknown to us and it's a surprise to us. And we respond in the natural and we miss the heavenly activity, which is always better. I love the story of Theodore Roosevelt, a former U.S. president, when he would host high-ranking friends over to the White House. He would take his guests on an evening walk, and inevitably he would point skywards and he would recite, This is the spiral galaxy of Andromeda. It is, a, as, it is as large as our Milky Way. It is one of a hundred million galaxies. It is two and a half million light years away. It consists of 100 billion suns, many larger than our own sun. And then, following a brief silence, 
he would grin and he would say, now, I think we're small enough. Let's go in. Will we learn from the great I am? Will we seek the true teacher and humbly position ourselves with questions, not with statements before him? The third thing we see is uh, Jesus talks about actually the rebirth is not about getting back inside your mother's womb. It's actually about being born again, not just by water, which is of repentance, which is that of repentance and uh, the forgiveness of sin by Jesus, the act of Jesus Christ on the cross, but actually also being born again by the Spirit of God. And it is the Spirit of God that comes to give us supernatural life. As it is the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead, so it is the Spirit of God that raises us from the dead as we die under water and, and baptism, kind of in repentance, asking God for the forgiveness of our sins that we cannot do this. We die in identification with Jesus Christ, uh, taking on His life, but we raise to life by the Spirit of God in fullness of life. In Galatians 5, 16 to 26 is this whole thing, but in verse 25 it says this, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step by the Spirit. Or with the Spirit. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. See, the third thing is, Nicodemus is trying to understand this. And Jesus says, actually, Nicodemus, I appreciate you coming to me discreetly and at night. You want to seek the true teacher. I appreciate you asking me questions. You want to learn from me. So this is what I have to teach you. Actually, it's by the Spirit of God that you will experience supernatural life. And so the third thing we have to be open to when we encounter Jesus, when we come before him, is that it is by the Spirit of God that we're able to walk into this life that he's called us into. If we shut off to the Spirit of God, we shut off to the supernatural life. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Are you guys still okay? I know that I've gone for time. You all right? A few more minutes. I remember leading, Jackson and I were leading a small congregation on the south coast of KZN called South City. When we had the privilege of going there to take over, there were probably 80 people, maybe 100 people as part of the church. And uh, we felt the Spirit of God say, you need to move. And you need to build a building that will seat 750 people. We were like, so this is the back end of 2008. Those of you that can remember that far back, uh, that was October 2008 was when economy took a nosedive. November 2008, under the unction of the Spirit of God, we started a building campaign. That naturally does not work. We were asking 80 people to build an auditorium for 750 people. Nine times what we presently were. Statistics would say, go two times what you presently are. But the Spirit of God was leading, and we were seeking Him, and we were trying to follow in His footsteps. In November, we launched the building campaign on the south coast. Economically, not, not the most affluent. January, we broke ground. July, we were in a paid-off, completed building, having our first meeting with multiple hundreds of people. You see, when we keep in step with the Spirit of God... We get to see something of the supernatural life. When our, inter our encounters with Jesus are governed by the natural, are governed by, by gossip and roundtable conversation that exclude him, or are governed by statements towards Jesus, or are governed by our natural eyes and not by the Spirit, 
then we disqualify ourselves. We block ourselves from the supernatural that God wants to lead us in. Because we are a people that have been put together for an eternal reality that we get to live while on earth and ongoingly. Superstar Wayne Gretzky, ice hockey player. Some of you might know his name. Some of you may not. It doesn't matter if you don't know ice hockey or Wayne Gretzky. What matters is his comment. He holds more ice hockey records than anyone in the history of the sport. And when asked about his success, season after season, Gretzky said, I skate to where the puck is going, not to where it's been. I skate to where the puck is going, not to where it's been. Here's a man in the natural who is the most successful ice hockey player of all time. How much more those of us in the supernatural. We move to where the Spirit of God is taking us, not to where he's been. We move to where he's taking us, not to where he's been. And so I, I want to just take a few, a few minutes because I know that uh, some of you have not been able to make our prayer meetings on a Wednesday morning uh, for work reasons, school uh, runs, all of that stuff. And some of you have not been able to make our public meetings that we have on a, we've had on a Wednesday evening where I've got to share something of just where we feel God's leading us. And uh, you may have heard cornubia. You may have heard these things. And some of you are feeling unsettled because it's unknown. Some of you may have felt like, well, I wasn't part of this whole progress. And suddenly last week, Richard stood up here and made an announcement that we're having a special general meeting talking about the selling of this building going Cornubia. And for you, it was like, surprise! And depending on whether you trust me or not, determined whether it was a good surprise or not a good surprise. But I want to tell you that, that actually as we process this, we... We've been going, personally, I've been on a four-year journey with God. And now I know that you haven't been on a four-year journey. And I want to give you the benefit of being able to come on that journey. As an eldership team, it's been two years. And then we were able to share it with our leaders last year, October. And then the whole plan was to be able to speak around it at the Anthem Summit, which got taken out of our hands. So strategically, my strategic brain says, God, you've taken the natural order of things, the way I would like to present it. You've taken it out of my hands. But now we've got some time pressures around Cornubia land and all of that kind of stuff. And all I've got to do is say, actually, God, I trust you. Surprise. I trust you. And I'm going to come with questions, not with statements, because I don't know all the answers. And I don't want to put statements on, because actually, you know far more than I do. And I want to be carrying on, carrying on being led by the Spirit of God, not with natural eyes. Because naturally, I think, heck, we've been here 47 years. We've got guys coming from the bluff. And Hillcrest, are they going to go the extra six to eight minutes that it takes to get there? That's all it takes, by the way. We have tested. We don't understand all of this. You've given us a surprise. It's, it's unknown to us. But actually, we're going to come together and ask questions. And so really what I want to invite you in today is to say, don't make statements, friends, with that which you don't know. But come in and ask questions alongside us of what God is doing. Come in and ask questions. Because there's some questions that I do know the answer to. And there's some questions I don't know the answer to. But I am asking them. And I'm asking them of God. And we want to go on this journey because we believe that the Spirit of God is leading us to lead the way, certainly in this city, if not this nation, to be one of the churches that understands and reflects what a reconciled community looks like. And so positionally, we have to move. Because we are disqualifying 
most people that do not have a car. Because it's two taxi stops to get here. And we're saying, God, huh? we can preach reconciliation till we blew in the face, but until it actually has a practical landing point where actually it becomes accessible for people to be able to become part of us. And then we look at, and then we're asking God as an eldership team, and we say, God, okay, if, if you're stirring us, you, you brought a word at the 133 conference three years ago, you're going to be unseated, to be reseated. Remember that? I know there's many of you that have joined Anthem since that time, but, but this prophetic word, God has been preparing us. It's not new. This is not, this is not so much surprise if our ears have been attuned to what God has been saying and whether the Spirit has been leading. You're going to be unseated to be reseated. Oh, shucks, what does that look like? And as we look and we've explored land, and then we found ourselves in Cornubia, where the next major development of Durban and group of people are going to be, and we were within five minutes of Waterloo and of Phoenix and of Mount Edgecombe and Amschlange, you start to think, wow, God, maybe there's this strategic genius in God. And actually, I can trust you. Even though we're singing this song, I trust you, therefore I don't, have to, I don't need to understand in the new wine song. I trust you, therefore I don't need to understand. Because you have always led this community of people for 118 years. You led us to this point. You lead us through this point as long as our ears are attuned to what the Spirit of God is saying. And what I want to say to us, friends, this is not a leadership or a visionary moment. We'll have that on the 14th of April. We're going to have a vision Sunday. But what I want to say to you, just as a shepherd amongst us, is to say this. I invite you in. Be a question asker, not a statement giver. Be a question asker. But this is what it requires of you at nighttime, discreetly, getting before the true teacher. At nighttime, when you prefer to be in front of the TV. At nighttime, when you prefer to be reading a book. At nighttime, when you prefer to do anything else other than coming before Jesus and asking him questions. See, many of us want to have opinions on our future, but we're not seeking the true teacher. And we're not prepared to do it. We want to do it in broad daylight and on a public platform like social media. When actually Jesus says, come, come away with me. Just ask me privately and discreetly and I can teach you. Will you seek the true teacher? Will you learn from him? Will you ask him questions as opposed to making statements? And then thirdly, will you walk, be led by the Spirit of God? Walk in step with the Spirit. Because he's been preparing us and he has a great future for us. And we want everybody to come along on this journey. And there's many unanswered questions and there's many answered questions. And I stand as a shepherd giving myself to you. You've got questions around a potential move to Cornubia. Come and ask. I will not turn you away. And nor will any of the elders. We've been processing this for many, many years. 18 months to two years. But we do feel that the time is right in God to be moving. Let's stand together.